to have a, a guest with us today, a very special guest. Um, many of you probably already know who this guest is, but when I mention his name, you, you may know who he is. Mike Sonskin, otherwise known as Mike the Poet, is an acclaimed writer and faculty member here at Woodbury. He's known for his profound essays, poetry, and performances. He teaches writing classes within our College of Liberal Arts and recognized as a wonderful mentor to our students. Hi, Mike. Welcome. Hey, hey, hey. Nice to be here. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. So let's just start out from the beginning. You're, how did you become a writer? What is your story? How did it all begin? And how do how, I guess we'll get into the part of... Uh, how how did you become Mike the Poet? There's many different like streams and avenues that, that are the starting point of that, but um, everything from rolling around L.A. as a kid with my grandfather and my dad and learning a lot about history and geography and some good English teachers in high school. And also, this is one I always talk about, but the fact that the 1992 Rodney King uprisings was like the week before my prom. And so I grew up in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, Los Angeles, and it was such a time of ups and downs and social fault lines and, and a lot of different things happening. But I was always a guy that had a lot of different friends from all these different communities and growing up in the middle of it all, writing and reading and reading and writing and my love of history and geography was always kind of a bridge and as a poet I had an entryway into all of these different communities and there was so much happening around me that we had to write it all down. Um, one, one of the things I wanted to bring up was and I do want to get into your story and like how you how you you know came up, became a writer, ended up at Woodbury. That's really we want to talk about that how you ended up here. But one of the things that I wanted to bring up, and then we'll circle back to that, is the impact that you have here at this university. This is our eighth show. We've interviewed a number of people, and many of them have brought you up as someone who impacted their experience here at Woodbury, including last week we had a, a game art and design student, Rafiq. Rafiq's um, great guy. And he brought you up, you know, and that's not, you know, you're in the you're in the College of Liberal Arts, but yet you've made that kind of impact. So I want to talk a little bit about, and this kind of plays off of what you just said, I mean, you, how, how do you how do you have that kind of impact on students? What are you doing? <laughs> um, you know, I think one of the main things that I'd like to do is give students to permission to be themselves and to express themselves at 120%, whether it be an architect or a game design or a graphic design or whether it be animation. And for that matter, a business student. Everyone is a creator. And a lot of times in the education system, I, I love the education system, but some classes have always been so much traditionally about memorizing and students don't always have a chance to really express themselves. So I always build on a section of my classes for them to express themselves and spread their wings and, and get some things off their chest. And, you know, an architect, when I make an architect write a poem, you're st a poem, you're still constructing something. You're constructing something with words. And so, and with the graphic design or game design or animation, you're telling a narrative. And so I like to have them do a lot of these different writing assignments in class and really to show them that they're all connected. It's all connected. You have to know how to write. And writing is, is like speaking or sleeping or eating. It's a, it's a really basic function. 
And what I do my best to do is make it fun. Let's have some fun. Everybody write your story. And I, I just give them a lot of opportunities and chances to write about all of these different sides of their story and to maybe express things that they might not be able to express in other classes, but then to see that by becoming a better writer, you're also going to become a better animator. You're going to be a better graphic designer. You're going to be a better architect. If you can find a way to fully express yourself, the more versatile you are, the better you're going to be in whatever your field is. And what I like to do is have a classroom. I always say it's kind of half Socratic dialogue, half open mic, and a kind of a mixture of all of these different things. And uh, and by having these dialogues within the class, it makes it fun. And, and they learn from hearing each other. So really, I'm a facilitator or a moderator, a catalyst, a fire starter, an instigator, something like that. What I loved, um, Mike, was that um, some of the students who we interviewed had said that they didn't think they were good at writing or they didn't like writing, but taking your class really changed their perception about writing. So I think that's amazing. That's so great. And what what do you think you do to that students start to feel more confident in their ability? Do you know, I think sometimes like in the past, the tradition, the English tradition, somebody had an English teacher that had a red pen and that red pen was unleashed on them. And, you know, rightfully so, you need to learn your grammar and you need to learn the basic fundamentals. But there's a lot of people that could never get past that. And and I think if some of those professors or those teachers had maybe let the students write a little bit more. And then down the line, I'm a believer that you learn grammar and you learn the rules by writing a million essays, by writing a million poems. And so in the beginning, I just let them write. I mean, we do correct them. And when they do turn in their midterms and they turn in their finals. But first things first... uh, some people think that they, their story, you know, that, well, I haven't studied a bunch. I haven't read a bunch of books, so my story isn't important. But everybody's story is important. And I think that's the main thing that I like to do is have them tell me your story. And, you know, everybody, I'm, I'm big on family stories and oral history. And everybody has a relative or somebody in their family that really influenced them. You know, tell me about that aunt of yours. Does anybody, and, you know, and I'll tell them a story about some different family members of mine. But does anybody here have a crazy cousin or everybody has a everybody has an uncle or every do you know and just by having them express themselves and their story they can see down the line that that writing is is for everybody it's not just it doesn't you don't have to be the guy with the phd or you don't have to have read t.s Eliot, and you don't have to know only charles dickens you can just be if you're that kid from burbank you're the kid from north hollywood and you got a story and you lived you remember walking down lancashire in the 80s tell me about that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so uh, we skipped over because greg you had that great question but um let's go back again to your early days your career and how it got started um maybe um did you you always knew you loved to write and express yourself in this way um where did you you where did you get educated there was a lot of serendipity synchronicity a lot of accidental success a lot of some things that I didn't know quite what to do next, so I just worked hard. And I mean, in my I, I was writing blogs when they in the late '90s when the internet was just starting. I was writing record reviews, and a lot of times not even getting paid for it, or getting paid fifty bucks to write a, you know, three hundred word record review or something. But uh, I graduated from UCLA in 1997. I went to Artesia High School and graduated in 1992, and then I went to UCLA, and I was a sociology undergrad. 
but in UCLA, I was studying, I was taking a lot of classes on Los Angeles history. I was blessed enough to study with a few professors that really inspired me. One of them was the author, Mike Davis, who wrote a book called City of Courts. And Mike Davis was very cool. And he, I showed him my first LA poems in the mid nineties and he was very encouraging to me. But I was also going to a million shows. I was going to a lot of record. I was going to record stores, but I was going to Melrose and I was going to Venice Beach and I was going to Echo Park and we were just all over LA, but we're going to hip hop shows and punk shows and indie rock and the music scene. Was this as a freelancer? And, and you know what? Originally, I was a fan. I went to more shows. I went to poetry events. You know, a few years before I ever read my own poetry, you know, I'm, I had read, I might have read a poem in the dorm room at UCLA to my buddy or my girlfriend or something at the time. But then we went to poetry readings. And then somewhere about 96, 97, I actually started reading my own, my own work at events. But I remember I'd go to the Kirkhoff Coffee House at UCLA or I'd go to Beyond Baroque or I went to Midnight Special Bookstore in Santa Monica. I went to this place called the Onyx that was on Los Feliz. It was, uh, it was on Vermont in Los Feliz. And we went down to Echo Park and we'd go all over the city to literary events. And by about 97 and then by 98, we were performing a lot of poetry. I have a buddy named Phil. He's a soccer coach, but Phil is also a painter and an incredible poet. And Phil and I, for a while there, would just at every poetry event in town for years and years and years. And my first job out of UCLA was kind of an accident. I started as a tour guide, which to this day, I still do some city tours. I did a tour yesterday of Hollywood Boulevard walking tour, and tomorrow I'm doing some tours. Oh, I, still, awesome. I still do some tour guiding. Um, but I was doing history tours of LA and these architectural tours and tours about the urbanism of the neighborhoods. And as I was doing these tours, I would do poems about LA and then somebody on the tour would say, oh, I teach a high school class. Would you want to come to my class as a guest speaker? So through the late 90s, early 2000s, I started doing a lot of guest speaking in different schools. But at the same time, there was a good 10, close to 15 year period of my life where I had about three jobs. Um, in some ways, I still do. But I was doing some city tours, some freelance journalism, some poetry events. And I was doing more and more things. And, and then eventually, you know, I went to graduate school in my 30s after my daughter was born. I didn't even go to grad school until I was... 36, believe it or not. Good. And, and so awesome. I had already been published a lot. And in the more recent years, I've been teaching college about five years now. And I ended up, I taught at Cal State LA. I taught at Southwest College. I've taught at two different high schools. And I first taught at Woodbury over four years ago. But I first came to Woodbury as a guest speaker in 2006. Mm. And there was a great professor named Elizabeth Sandberg who was at this venue. There was a singer-songwriter showcase on La Brea in Hollywood, and I was the only poet at that event. And I have a poem called L.A. Authors, and I did that poem. And Elizabeth Sandberg was in the audience, and she came up to me afterwards and said, your poem had half my syllabus. I teach a class called L.A. Stories. How would you like to come to my class and speak to my class about Los Angeles literature in the city? And so I started coming to her class, and mm -hmm. she had me every year. And then in the fall of 2014, she was getting ready to go on a sabbatical. And she said, could you cover two of my classes at Woodbury? And I had already worked with Will McConnell um, in the College of Liberal Arts. And Will was a great guy. Will, Will and I get along really well. And Will said, hey, come and teach these two classes. And so um, now I've taught L.A. stories. I've taught... This next semester, I'm teaching a class called Knowledges, but I taught a class called Conflicts. I taught a class called Natures, a class called Journeys. And I even did the uh, PPDV, which is the Introduction Freshman class. And 
Um, I love Woodbury and I love this. Inter- I love the interdisciplinary studies, especially because I am equally English in history, but I like a little bit of theory. I mean, I even like some Carl Jung, you know, we can talk about the persona and the shadow. And, and so what I want to do is get students engaged in these different subjects, but have them feel empowered enough to write their own story. And what are you teaching? You're teaching how many courses? This next semester, I'm teaching three sections of knowledges. Okay. And what, tell me, like, as a student, what will I be learning in those courses? <laughs> knowledge is, is another interdisciplinary studies class. It's 104, and it's it's a fusion of a little bit of philosophy, a little bit of epistemology, fancy word, you know, but ethics, um, and also, you know, really the class is intended on having them read, read and write, and just introduction to theory and a little bit, some of these guys, Kierkegaard and Hume, and they, they get a little bit, it gets a, it gets a little bit complicated, but I'm, we're going to get into some Carl Jung and we're going to get into um, what makes knowledge, what defines knowledge, but a large part of anything I teach is I'm going to have them talk about self-knowledge too. So in between reading some of these theories, I'm going to have them do a lot of writing about their own life. And one of the first assignments is, is I'm going to say to everybody, you're all an expert in something. You know, let's have you write a two-page paper about a subject that you know a lot about. And I want you to show off and show me how much you know. And I like the idea of students taking ownership of things. And when I love that word autodidact. When you are an autodidact, it means you really want something. You shouldn't just read something because somebody tells you to. You should read something because you're interested in it yourself. And when you take that ownership of your education, that's when it's going to be something that will be sustaining and that will last a long time. And so in that knowledge class, in between reading some of the theorists, one of the things I'm going to have them do is also write about their own their own field, you know, show off. If you're a graphic designer, you know, tell me what's your philosophy, what's your manifesto, what is your, what is behind your design? Or if you're an architect, what, what is a guiding idea of, of, and some of them say they hadn't really thought about these things until my class, but I'm trying to give them a chance so that they can. And then later on, when they go on a job interview, they can, they can talk about their stance. They can talk about their platform. And so just a lot of short writing assignments, so when you were at UCLA um, and you graduated, did you have any idea what career you were going to go into or was it to just how did that all come that's together? A, that's a great question because I knew I did. I wanted to write and I had some inspirations and, and you know, like Mike Davis was a role model for me and different people. Um, the woman, the great professor who I never studied with actually, but I used to just go talk to her was a woman named Carolyn C who passed a couple years back, but great Los Angeles writer. And Carolyn was always really nice to me. And she wrote this great book called Making a Literary Life. And it was about how to be a writer. And I remember I loved that book and it gave a lot of ideas. But I knew I wanted to write, and I like writing prose and poetry equally. I didn't quite know how to go about it in some ways, and that's why, I mean, I, I briefly worked at Paramount Pictures in the legal department. It was just some temp stuff, but I, I did, uh, I worked out in the television show Judging Amy for a half a second as a production assistant, and they were and they had me making Xerox copies of scripts, and I worked at a dot-com, and, and, and all the while, I was doing these tours, and I was doing a million different things. It was this, uh, this website called Underground. It was originally called underground.net, but later on it was called getunderground.com, and I was one of the main editors. So I was, I was doing a lot of writing, but I didn't quite know how to go about it. And, and so 
I went to a million poetry open mics, and it was kind of like every year I got published a little bit more. Every every year I got invited to a few more places, and it's been a real, you know, I'm much more of the turtle than I am the rabbit. You know the story of the turtle? Mm-hmm, of course. <laughs> I mean, I've been a lot more of a gradual thing. Like, I mean, I've been working hard for a long time, but it's been it's been one one step at a time. I mean, all the way to this day. Right. And it's, you, do you still see yourself evolving and, and not knowing what's going to happen? I mean, I guess I'm just looking at, like Greg and I are both, we're in the marketing department here at Woodbury and I handle public relations and I have most of my career and I do a lot of writing um, and I work with a lot of journalists, um, but it's completely, I see it as a different type of writing than you do. Have you ever done, I mean, have you been a journalist? Yeah. I Okay. I wrote, you know, I have about 200 articles at KCT, um, oh, you know, about Los Angeles neighborhoods and reviewing books and um, did a piece not too long ago for the LA Review of Books. I've been writing uh, a few things for this other site called LA Taco. Mm-hmm. I did this one for Boom, which is the University of California Press's literary journal. Um, I'm always writing. I, if I have a beat, really, it would be. Los Angeles writers, geography, and neighborhoods. I write a lot of neighborhood history. I've written histories of. I did a piece on Burbank a few years back for for uh, KCT, but I wrote about this area, City Terrace. I wrote, I wrote a piece about the South Central Los Angeles that was uh, nominated for an LA Press Club Award, which was about gentrification in South LA. And so I love to write these neighborhood histories and and kind of find some of the some of the stories that haven't been told and and to to spotlight. Because everybody has been writing about Beverly Hills and Hollywood. To me, the real L.A. is much more interesting, you know, and, and, you know, these other stories of L.A. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, because I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that you in some of your classes, you get into that. Mm -hmm. Right. You Mm -hmm. you take your students. And I know uh, you also teach some other places as well, or you have taught at other universities as well. But you you take your students into neighborhoods and you talk about those neighborhoods. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about In the LA you... Stories class, we took four field trips. The first field trip we went to City Hall. We went to the top of City Hall and we went to Union Station and we went to Alvera Street. I'm a big believer in getting out in the field, you know, get out in the field and, and praxis, you know. Like theory is cool, but it's even better to get out into the world and we went to City Hall. We went to Boyle Heights. We went to Lamert Park. We went to Koreatown. And we'll take a you know hour and a half, two hour walk, walk through the area, talk about the architecture, talk about the the social history, the consciousness of the city, the area, um, you know, the kind of the interplay between the built environment and uh, the LA Stories class that I've taught, which I've taught twice at Woodbury now, is really one, probably my favorite class I've ever taught ever in any any other place that I've taught at. And it's an interdisciplinary class. And at the very end of the class, the students write their own research paper on their own LA story, and they find something that they like. For example, we spoke about that young lady, Danny Bowman. She did a fantastic final presentation on three different animation studios, and in that course of that essay that she wrote in the presentation she gave she really schooled me on the history of animation and Mm -hmm. how Burbank here is is you know maybe the most important city in in animation of anywhere you know so I like to have the students tell these different neighborhood stories and I like to get out in the field with them and do it and I assume that you know even with students who grew up in this area they learn a lot right that you know a lot of times we don't think about where we live mm-hmm. or 
you know, so so I don't know, you know, if you have any any examples of that kind of thing, but I. You know what? And that's a great point because what I also encourage the students to do, and once again, is to tell that tell me their stories. So I learn a lot about the city from them. They've students that they lived in a certain neighborhood, and they told me a story that I didn't know about that neighborhood. That beautiful church that's just across the street from us here. Um, I was talking about that in class, and one of our students said, "Well." My grandfather was one of the men who did work on that, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and actually that young lady, I'm going to have her at some point, she's going to write a piece about that building and her grandfather's work on it. And we're going to publish that at some point. And she, she's an architect and she was overwhelmed with things, but it's the kind of thing where I told her, even if we publish it in May or June, but I asked students to tell me, Hey, tell me your neighborhood story. Tell me where your story is. And, mm-hmm. um, and there's, a, we learned so much from that. And I've been studying LA for a long time now, so I have a I have a good. I've read a lot of books on it, but I've also met a lot of people and had jobs in all these different neighborhoods. So, I have a good knowledge base just on my experience. But at the same time, my students teach me things all the time, and I love it when students tell tell me about their neighborhood and where they're from. And there was a student here who told me about. I'm writing an article right now about the neighborhood of Pacoima, and on Van Nuys Boulevard, there is one mile of murals. It's called Mural Mile, and there's between 24 and 25 murals from Arlita to Glen Oaks on Van Nuys Boulevard, and they're now calling this stretch of Pacoima Mural Mile. Hmm. But one of my former students that I ran into somewhere was was telling me about this area, and it turns out that I know there's a young lady named Christy Sandoval who's one of the ma- main painters. She's painted five or six of the murals. I've known her. I met her at Luis Rodriguez's bookstore, Tia Chucha's, which is in Sumar, and I met this young lady 13, 14 years ago, and now she's in her mid-30s and she's becoming famous. But I met her when she was... I did poetry at her first art show. I performed poetry at her first that art show. That is so cool. So I love these neighborhood stories, and to see young people evolve and somebody that you worked with five, seven, ten years ago, and all of a sudden now this late young lady's painted 40 murals around the city. What is, so let's get into the weeds a little bit. Like, what, what, so what's your take on L.A. right now? Now, you talked about growing up and, and being affected by the Rodney King riots and the situation there. Tell us what you, what, you know, what do you make of L.A.? I mean, I am, I am by nature an optimist, and at the same time, the thing that is happening in L.A. right now is the same phenomenon process that's happening in Brooklyn, Miami, Chicago, San Francisco, San Diego, all around America. It's 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 there's it's rent is rent is very high, <laughs> you know, to talk to, to just bring it to a very straight place. Um you know, wages have not matched inflation. And so everywhere you go, you see Starbucks and everywhere you go, you see Quiznos. And I I make jokes about corporate culture, but I mean, I'll drink Starbucks as much as anybody. So, I mean, I, I, I wish I could be the guy. I only drink independent coffee and, you know, and I mean, I, I do try to support independent bookstores and that kind of thing, but everywhere you go, you do see these same corporate chains. And I know that's just a product of, of this time period. My favorite element of LA, I guess, really would be the people, you know, like our students. We have such a diverse student body and students from all over, not just international students, but a lot of Southern California natives. And so what I really love about LA is, is our multiculturalism, is the diversity. I love all the different little pockets of LA. I, I wish... You know, I don't like it when the the people that made a neighborhood special get priced out of it. That's something that we 
and I don't know if there's, I don't see any solutions at this point in time. We're going to see what happens with that. But I love the city itself. Um, I don't love all the luxury condos popping up everywhere, you know, but at the same time, I always say that, you know, a, a friend of mine grew up in West Adams, kind of where West Adams meets Koreatown. And we were driving the other day, he and I, he's a great guy, and he's a surrealist poet, and he's an avant-garde rapper, but he's also got a master's degree in psychology, and he's a therapist, so he, he wears a lot of hats. But I said, man, what do you think of those luxury condos over there? And he's like, ah, no. But he's like, man, it was a vacant lot my whole life. You, you know you know what I mean? And so it's like, uh, I, I interviewed a young activist once, and she said she's not against development. She's just wishes it wasn't all luxury development <laughs> right. you know right. and can afford it. so i mean i i think everybody deserves to live in a, in a nice place and so it, it's good that they're fixing up the city but it's too bad that, that it's not always equitable right so mike you've published a lot in your career you've done a lot of amazing um a lot of amazing work what can, give me um an idea of some of the, the works that you're most proud of? Well, my first book was called I'm Alive in Los Angeles, and that came out back in 2006. And that was something that I've went and spoken at a lot of colleges at and, uh, and did a lot of different work with I'm Alive in Los Angeles. I even recorded an album called I'm Alive in Los Angeles that some of the poems were played on KCRW and KPFK. And um, I have a lot of friends that are musicians and DJs. And so there's even events where I would be doing poetry with live jazz or doing poetry with music and different events. Um, I did a project called Poetics of Location, which was how all of my poems are always connected. Many of my poems are connected to geography and history. I've done a lot of little projects. This the, the biggest project that's really upcoming is my next book, which is called Letters to My City. And that one is a combination of some of my best KCT essays and some of my newer LA poems. And that's the one I feel that is the most mature. Like sometimes I, some of the I'm Alive in Los, Los Angeles material, there's a lot of youthful energy. I still love it and all, but it was, it was 10, 15 years ago, and now I've, I've had kids, and now I'm, you know, I've been teaching 11 years, and it's a, it's a different time. You've grown up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You've exactly. had to grow up. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I would love to hear um, what, I'm, what is it, I'm Alive in Los Angeles? Yeah, and you know what? Here's what I'll do yeah. is I'll do um, – I'll do one verse of I'm Alive in Los Angeles, and then I have the sequel, which is the brand new poem. So I'm going to do, I'll do part of I'm Alive in Los Angeles, okay. and then I'm going to segue into, so here's the, here's the first one. I'm alive in Los Angeles. I'm alive in Los Angeles. I'm alive in Los Angeles. I'm alive in Los Angeles here in the wild, wild west, and as a warm wind hits my face, I walk across stained concrete. I cry tears of joy on Flower Street. I watch families dancing on their porches on Christmas Eve. I smile widely, and as I move to the city, my heart beats swiftly as sirens beat by me. I revel in the sadness. My soul is deep. I take full responsibility. Give me everything. It hurts. It's so beautiful. We have that universal, soulful, multicultural, emerging worldwide tribe people. I'm alive in Los Angeles. I'm alive in Los Angeles. And the neon crowns glow above the city of angels. Haze hovers after another nuclear sunset. I love it all. I'm alive in Los Angeles. I'm alive in Los Angeles. I'm alive in Los Angeles. L.A. Nice. Love it. And then here is here's a sequel. I'm still alive in Los Angeles, even as the price of rent rises and gridlock strangles central arteries. I'm old enough to remember disco parties and the build-up to the 1984 Olympics and news reporters like Jerry Dunphy and Hal Fishman. I remember when Fernando Valenzuela was a rookie. Years before I loved Wanda Coleman and Bukowski, my first L.A. poets were Chick Hearn and Vince Scully. 
Then I read Mike Davis and Carrie McWilliams and watched the gospel of Hugh Hauser, looking at things that aren't here anymore, recalling former glory, like Ralph's story. I'm still exploring from Panorama City to Pomona. I'm still alive in Los Angeles as they build high-speed trains down Crenshaw and out into the San Gabriel Valley. Changes in transportation for the new generation foreshadow the nation's transformation as millennials on bicycles call for the return of the Garden City. Green in the 21st century is a matter of survival. Witness the revival of the wetlands. The riparian watershed is a sentinel for sustainability. Unbridled consumption is a liability. Observe residents of Angel City playing their part restoring nature's heart. I'm still alive in Los Angeles from festivals to funerals, baby showers to weddings. Each generation ever more beautiful. Reality is ever musical. Throngs of people mix and match, creating the patchwork mosaic of multicultural souls coming together to call LA home. The community is a poem in progress called Los Angeles. The angels in a city singing synchronicity from central to century city. Olympic was 10th Street, and Pico, Pio Pico was the last governor of California when it belonged to Mexico. He was born a Spanish citizen. See the city zen soaring to Satori on a Saturday morning, circling the Evergreen Cemetery or hiking up hills in Culver City. I'm still alive in Los Angeles. As mamas monitor laundry mats from Lancashire to Long Beach, I walk the long streets from Magnolia to Manchester, Rosemead to Redondo Beach. I'm still alive in Los Angeles, though there's no more open space. Most of the wetlands have been replaced by condos, Trader Joe's, and makeshift dog parks. The expanding corporate heart charts a frenzied face, facelift of never-ending Christmas, but only a few are on that wish list. There's a generation of kids on Snapchat, and commuters want that fast track. Alive in Los Angeles. I'm still alive in Los Angeles. Thanks to family, friends, and poetry. The past, present, and future of my city gives me energy. Untold generations of history from Biddy Mason to Chavez Ravine to Toyo Miyataki, punctuating the power of place, turning the page, sharing authority, because we all share the story of the city unfolding. There's no hierarchy. We all belong to this city. It's all her story. I'm still alive in Los Angeles, and today I drive around L.A. with my son and daughter like I once rode with my grandfather. There's no more Perinos or the Brown Derby, but there's still Fossilmans, Coles, Philippe's in the pantry. My children spill ice cream in the back seat with me. Together we are alive in a city of destiny. I'm still alive in Los Angeles. I'm still alive in Los Angeles. I'm still alive in Los Angeles. L.A. That is so good. Oh my gosh, I love it. Amazing. Wow, no wonder you are critically acclaimed thank you so much for listening yeah let's take a quick break yeah. all right we'll be back Mike Sonskin, Mike the Poet. Yeah. Yeah. We just loved uh, your your reading of I'm Alive in Los Angeles, and I'm still alive in Los I'm Angeles. I'm still alive in Los Angeles. <laughs> and uh, while we took a break, we, we heard that um, I'm Alive in Los Angeles has been published, not published, but printed, how, do, how would I say it, on a building? Emblazoned. Emblazoned. This, this artist named Phil America, in um, conjunction with this company called Living Neon and a woman um, named Abby Allen, there was a pop-up store in downtown Los Angeles that was first initiated in November, late November of 2018, and they were looking for a poem to publish on the side of the building, and they found my poem, I'm Alive in Los Angeles, and they sent me an email and said, we would like to make an art installation out of your poem, and we have this artist named Phil America, and he will take lines from your poem and put it in several windows and across the facade of the building. So at 7th and Olive, 
Um, Caddy Corner from that restaurant, Bodega Louis, and 7th Street used to be one of the main shopping districts of downtown LA, 7th and Broadway, or two of the main streets, but 7th, 7th is a great street right there, and right there at 7th and Olive on that corner, my poem, I'm Alive in Los Angeles, is, it's, it's a pretty big corner, and it's, the poem is, is on the side of the building there. I gotta ask, like, how does that feel? Man, I'm, I was, when I first saw it, I was, I was blown away, um, I'm thankful. I'm grateful. That poem has that poem is you know is is an old poem that I've done that I wrote most of that poem in my late twenties. Um, but it's a poem that always comes back around. Even you know when I don't, I'll go to a reading and not even want to do that poem. People say, "Hey, can you do I'm Alive in Los Angeles?" So it's a poem that's been a major part of my life and. It started out really as my signature poem, even though I've literally written since then hundreds of other L.A. poems about all kinds of different neighborhoods and some poems that might even be technically more sophisticated or but the I'm Alive in Los Angeles, something about it. That poem was a mixture of Walt Whitman, Langston Hughes and early 1990s hip hop. Walt Whitman wrote the catalog poem, the list poem. And so I'm Alive in Los Angeles is this poem that's celebrating the city and all these different sides of the city, you know, from block to block to block to block, extravagance and adversity interlock, palatial spots, crosswalks, burrito shops, housekeepers are hanging out at bus stops, the country club is all walled off, the city's blowing up like a Molotov. And even when I'm in the shower, I'm hearing the horns honk, I'm alive in Los Angeles. Um, so that poem, you know, is meant to capture as much of the city as possible. And so I'm really thankful that they chose my poem to to be to be on that building there. Um, but that's the piece is about really celebrating all sides of the city. And so um, it's been it's been a major part of my life. And, and I'm still alive in Los Angeles. And I'm still alive in Los Angeles is the ideas of I'm alive. And at the same time, now I have two children. I have a nine-year-old. I have a four-year-old. I've been married 10 years. And I've been teaching for 11 years. And I've had jobs in a lot of different neighborhoods. And I've been all over the city. And also, you know, not that long ago, I was a young guy. Now I'm in the middle. And I've been mentoring over the last 10, 11 years. I've been mentoring a lot of young poets and worked with when I was teaching 11th grade, you know, and now I've been teaching mostly freshman and sophomore. I have some upper division students too, but I've, I've mentored a lot of these kind of late teens, early twenties people. And now here I am in the middle. And then I also know a lot of great poets that are in their sixties and seventies. And I have a lot of my elders that were big influences on me. And now I'm kind of a bridge between these generations. I used to host this reading and I still do sometimes called three generations on the same stage. But the idea of that we're all connected in these generations and bridging, bridging the best of both. Like I love the youthful energy, but then I also love the sage, uh, the wise, the wise words of the, the guy that's lived in L.A. for 75, 80 years, too. Um, Woodbury is often described, I guess, you know, we have about 20 undergraduate majors. It's often described as a sort of professional school, um, you know, a university where people can go and study architecture or graphic design or whatever. Um, but that's, you know, of course people can do that. But one of the things that we want to try to let people know about with this show and other things we do is... Woodbury offers a lot more than just, you know, some classes, right? And you're a big part of that. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that aspect, like the things we've been talking about, about helping open up the minds of, of students. And you talk about how you you have a lot of younger students, too, who come in, they're very impressionable. Maybe they don't understand that they can communicate and write the way they can. 
know, talk a little bit if you can about that process and what that's like, and and you know why you know that's what? important. I always tell people that uh, Woodbury, you know, is well over a hundred years old, and it started as a woman's business college, and it still is a professional school. And we have the MBA program, and as you say, we have these twenty different majors. But one of the best kept secrets is in that, in many ways, Woodbury is is, an, is quietly an art school too. There's a lot of there's a lot of art here. There's a lot of creative people, and what I like these students to know is even if you are a business major or a marketing major or game design or animation, you have to know how to write and you have to know how to express yourself. And so by having them doing these writing assignments or when I taught the journeys class, one of the assignments I had students do was I had them draw a map and I let those of them that are digitally inclined, you can make it a digital map, but make a map of seven key moments in your life and then write a short essay describing your map. But the interplay, I, I, I love to draw maps. I'm, I'm much more of a poet and a journalist than I am a visual artist, but I've always drawn maps. And I, I, I've heard this thing from uh, the modernist poets used to talk about geographic futurist map poems. But I, when some of the students made maps, some of the architects were doing maps for me and some of the animators were doing maps, they really had a good time with it. And then some of them ended up writing these really long essays and talking about these different how. Place uh, place connects to meaning, to memory and identity. And they talk about this restaurant. Well, my family always went to this restaurant, and this is where we had birthday dinners. And when my grandfather passed, this is where we went because we used to go there with him all the time. And, and, and so what I do with the students is to have them do these writing assignments um, that connect to something that's meaningful to them. And so at the same time, you know, this is a professional school, but when you get into touch with your creative side, you're gonna be better in your craft because I love facts, I love knowledge, don't get me wrong, but imagination, I believe, is even more important. I think imagination is really the way you're gonna solve problems and you can never have too good of an imagination. And we need to think outside of the box in order to come up with new solutions. If we're gonna think the same way in the past, then we're just gonna come up with the same results. And so what I like about creative writing, and not just creative writing, but any kind of writing assignment or doing something like a map, is that it influence, it motivates students to think, to use their imagination, to think creatively, because you have to think creatively. And, and to learn how to use your imagination is, is, is very practical in, in whatever field you go into. And uh, there's a friend of mine who's, I have several friends of mine that have been teachers 25, 30 years. And uh, one of my favorite writers is a guy named Seshu Foster. And he has been teaching poetry in East LA for 30 years. And Seshu Foster told me a story about, he started a poetry club in the late eighties at a Holland Beck middle school in the middle of Boyle Heights. And one of his best students uh, is not even a poet anymore. She's now a broadcaster on the Spanish language, you know, Univision. And she's pretty well known as, as a um, television journalist and a reporter. And he ran into her in the airport after not seeing her for several years. But she told him, you know, well, I, don't, I don't really write poetry anymore. But those assignments I did when you, with you when I was 14, 15 years old were the beginning of my journalism career. And so for somebody in my class, there are students that, didn't know they liked writing until they took my class. Just by, if architects have to make presentations, you know, when they're going to make a presentation, who is going to get the, who's going to get the account, who's going to do the big, the big project. You have to know how to express yourself. And so I think 
what what there's, what Woodbury is a blank canvas. There's a lot of room here to really create your, to create things. And here we are in uh, Burbank, and where so many of the animation companies are. And uh, and for that matter, I haven't mentioned our film department. We have a great film department, and all of the professors are connected to different industries. And I'm very connected to the literary community. But all of the professors I know are are all have their tentacles in different places around the city. And so there's a lot of room at Woodbury to to plug into the different opportunities around LA. And this is more of a comment than a question, but like talking about that map project that you did, what I love about that is, you know, a lot of people come in to college or whatever, and they say, you know what, I'm not a writer or I'm not a poet or I'm not, you know, I can't communicate that way or whatever. But with a project like that, you sort of flip things around and open them up in a way mm-hmm. that, that then unleashes that where they uh, sort of switch goes off and they say, wait a minute, maybe I can do this. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of what we're talking about. I mean, you know, that's a real revelation. That's what college is all about. Your college is about discovery. And, and uh, I always try to tell people, don't limit your thinking. You know, we and uh, one of my mentors always tells me, schedule the impossible. If you don't schedule it, it can't happen. But a closed mouth doesn't get fed. If you don't, you know, fortune favors the bold. If you don't, if you don't envision great things, if you don't look forward and you can't, you can't get there unless you envision it. You know, you have to, you know, and it, it starts with imagination. And so there's no need. College is a time when the limits should be um, cast aside and. The sky is the limit. Mike, you had also mentioned it made me think that your courses also help um, develop their, another core skill, and that's presentation mm-hmm. skills, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's not just about writing. It's performing as mm-hmm. well and being mm-hmm. able to get up in front of a group. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean, do you, do you then you agree that? I'm very big on the presentation and the performance. And you know what? In the beginning, it's informal. In the beginning, it's just... For the next 15 minutes, we're going to write. I'll give them a prompt. You know, maybe maybe we'll have a quote on the board that's connected to what we're reading at the time. Write a response to this quote. Or I'll even give them a various prompt and say, write about this. And then for the next 15 minutes, we'll write. And then 20 minutes later, say, would anybody like to share what they wrote? And that's where it becomes like the Socratic dialogue meets open mic. And there have been some classes I had. The L.A. Stories class I had last year. There were so many writers in there, but there were also a lot of people that wanted to share. So there was times where we had 10 or 15 people share stuff out loud. And, you know, they each read something a couple minutes long. But when they hear each other, you know, a lot of learning how to be a better writer is hearing one another. And so they hear their call, their classmate. And, and then it even kind of creates a friendly competition. I'm always about community. I'm not about competition. I'm more about community. But when iron sharpens iron, you know, when your colleague is a good, is a good writer, and they wrote something that inspired you, sometimes what happens is they're like, I can do that too. Yeah. I think that this has been an amazing opportunity for us. I mean, I've learned so much more about you, and I'm I'm just as impressed as I was before, maybe even more so. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Is, Is there anything else you want to share with us before we let you go? Well, 
my book Letters to My City is coming out around March-ish, and it is with Writ Large Press, which is an independent publisher in downtown LA, and they're in conjunction with a press that's in New York called um, Civil Coping Mechanisms, and these two presses have kind of come together to unite, and uh, my book Letters to My City is coming out, and I'm really excited about that. But also, I'll be hosting a lot of events around campus with the students, and we may even go and go to once a month. We usually go about every six weeks or so. But I love to I love the poetry events because it brings everybody together. Um, we'll be doing, and I'm also work a lot with seventy five hundred magazine, Risa Williams, and the digital journalism. And so there there will be many more events, um, poetry events, and. Um, Looking Great. forward and, to bringing and, people together. And perhaps we'll be broadcasting from some you of those events. Know. I think we you had a request know. from Risa. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure this will not be the last time we chat with you, Mike. Thank keep, you so much. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you very much. Appreciate you guys. Thank you for having me here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.